Well, tonight I just thought, you know, a lot of people have asked, well, what about work? Is it different? Is evangelism different at work? It is and it isn't, right? Because uh, sometimes you have certain rules and regulations, things like that. So I thought we'd just talk a little bit about work tonight and uh, guidelines for evangelism in the workplace. And I think, first of all, to do that, you have to have the proper biblical perspective on what work is. You know, so many people think work is uh, the result of the curse, which it's not. Uh, Adam and Eve had tasks to do in the Garden of Eden before they gave into sin. And so if you read through Genesis 1 and 2, we're not going to do all that tonight, but you can see where work is part of uh, God's design for us. That's part of his plan. Uh, and in a perfect environment, bless you, in a perfect environment, in the environment of the Garden of Eden at least, uh, Adam was given what? He was given certain responsibilities, right? Certain tasks to do. Uh, he was given the responsibility to subdue and, and rule over the, the uh, creation, Genesis 1.28. He was given the responsibilities of cultivating and caring for the garden, uh, Genesis 2.15 and, and verse 5 also. So work is not the result of the fall. It was always God's intention for us to work. As a matter of fact, we're, we'll be working in heaven. You know, so many times people think, well, when we get to heaven, it's just going to be, you know, you're going to float around on a, on a cloud or something. No, you're, you're going to have tasks to do. You're going to have responsibilities. And so what did the fall do, though? The fall, what, intensified, right? It, it really intensified the pace and the, the difficulty of work. It was much more joyous to do work before sin entered the picture. Uh, when Adam sinned, he brought upon himself the just penalty for his sin, and God cursed his primary responsibility, which was the toil involved in work. And you can read about that in Genesis three seventeen to 19. But the goal is not simply to work, right? That's not our goal, but, but it's to honor God with the fruit of our labor, to honor God with our work. That's what we're called to do. Um, and so the theme of that appears in Proverbs. If you turn over to Proverbs chapter 6, we'll be looking at a couple verses. Proverbs chapter 6 and Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And so uh, Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, it, it speaks of, of the nature of work. And this theme appears throughout Scripture. But it talks about uh, someone called a sluggard, someone who's lazy and who ignores their responsibility. So it says in verse 6, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And so Proverbs gives a very clear indication that work is not something that we just slough off and not do. Uh, you know, you don't just fold your hands and say, well, God promised you to take care of us. I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work that way. Um, even the ant knows to, to work hard and, and to prepare and gather food. And then over in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, this is a longer session of scripture here but ecclesiastes chapter 2 this is written by solomon the wisest man that ever lived aside from christ obviously but uh, 
Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 13, this warns of having an um, unbalanced approach to work. You know, some people don't like to work at all. Other people, that's all they do. That's just as wrong, really. But in verse 13, Ecclesiastes 2.13, it says, Then I saw that there was more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool uh, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For all, uh, for, for of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, he says, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after the wind. And he even continues down in verse 18. He says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be a master of all for which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of the heart with which he toils beneath the sun? All of his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is, verse 24, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. That's a, a long passage, but it really shows, in, in his words, the vanity of having your, your work life out of balance. You know, some people, I've, I've seen it time and time again, they work, they work, they work, their fingers to the bone, only for that wonderful day to retire. This happens to a lot of, of police officers, right? They work 25, 30 years for the police force, and they finally get their pension, and they're, they're ready to go and get the cabin and do all their hunting and whatever, and a week, a week after they retire, they have a stroke. It's so sad. And they're, they're, they're holed up in a wheelchair the rest of their life. And yet... They, they neglected their family all those years. Just, you know, one day we'll, we'll be able to retire one day. And, and, and Solomon's saying, man, you, you can't live your life that way. Um, it's, it's, it's not a, a good thing. Even the prophet Haggai rebuked the people, even though they worked fervently. And, and so their, their efforts were misdirected and really amounted to nothing, if you remember when we went through the study there, because they were based on wrong motives. So we have to... You know, work is something that is, a, is, is given to us by God. It's a, it's a, it's a creation ordinance, you could, 
you could call it. It's something that every person has. It's a gift, secondly. Um, we don't think of work as a gift. You know, we think of work as, as a task, right? But it really is a gift because the Bible says everything that we have is a gift from who? From God. And whether that's food, whether that's water, whether that's oxygen, even work is a gift from God. Sometimes we ask ourselves, how can this difficult effort, whatever our job might be, and constant struggle be a gift from God? And, and the answer is, is rather simple, I would say, because work is God's means of providing many of the necessities in life. That's, that's how he has done it. It doesn't just appear on the table. You know, God doesn't do that. He, he expects you to go work for things. And so in addition, it's the platform for evangelism and ministry. We don't think of it often that way, but it really is. It's, it's a vehicle for supporting our families and even our churches. You know, we go to work, they give us a check. We honor the Lord with a certain portion of the check, whatever it might be, between us and God, and, and, and that helps support the churches. It helps support our family. And, and work is part of that common grace that we don't often think about that's from the hand of God. In, in 2 Thessalonians, if you turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he mentions this in verse, verse 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. He says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him, what? Not eat. Okay, pretty simple concept. For we hear that someone, some among you, walk in idleness. Okay, back to the slugger. They walk in idleness. Not busy at work, but what? Busy bodies. <laughs> all right, they're busy, all right, but they're not busy doing work. They're, they're busy doing other things that they shouldn't be doing. Verse 12 now such persons we command and encourage you in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, let letter take note of that person. And look at what it says. Have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. That's a pretty strong word from Paul. Uh, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So he's talking about someone who is in Christ, who apparently feels that, hey, you know, I'll just kind of live off whatever. And we have to understand that the work is a gift from God to help us provide for our families, to help us provide for ministries, for, for church, and to even give him glory. And then the third thing here, work is a ministry, and the workplace is the mission field. We don't often think about this. We don't think of missionaries as working in the secular workspace. But really, that's the greatest kind of work. That's the greatest kind of missionary, if you think about it. God provides you a job in a secular workspace. You're going to be able to talk to people that I, I would never even meet. You know? Um, you're going to be able to have and command the attention of people who may never even darken the door of a church. And God has placed you there uh, strategically and sovereignly. And I think this is a very valuable principle that really it was emphasized more during the Reformation and it was called the sanctity of our callings. The sanctity of our callings. And, and what that means, it's, it's this concept basically it denied the medieval distinctions that they made between um, people in, in, of the clergy, okay, people who 
committed their lives to, to serve like in the church or, or whatever, the clergy, and then the laity. You used to have this, well, you still do even today. You know, there's some people that, oh, you're a minister, you're a pastor. You must not do anything. <laughs> you know, you don't have a job. You don't really work. Okay, um, that, that's the mentality, you know. And, and yet, on the other side, it's kind of like this mentality in people's minds that unless you're a pastor, you, you can't be really spiritual enough to be involved in evangelism and missions and all that, when really just the opposite is true. I mean, the Bible says that, that God has given the church the gift of pastors and teachers and shepherds. Why? To equip who? Equip the saints for what? The work of the ministry. Well, guess what? Part of ministry is evangelism. And so work in, is a ministry and the workplace is a mission field. So the next time you go to work, think about it. You know what? I'm entering the mission field. I'm entering a place that people in my church may never go to. And I have the opportunity to be aware of that. And so back then they would, they would think that, you know, if you're a full-time pastor or whatever, that, well, you're more spiritual than the person that just, you know, works in the rail yard or whatever. That's how they, they think. And people think that way to true. Today, that is not true. I've said all the time, the only difference between someone teaching behind a lectern or a pulpit and the congregation is the direction they're facing. That's the only difference. I don't have some spiritual connection to God that I get, you know, a direct word and, and, and I come on Sunday, yeah, this is what God shared with me. I know he didn't share it with you, but let me share with you what my God shared with me this past week. That doesn't fly. We all have the same access to the same book, to the same Holy Spirit, to the same God. Now, yeah, I mean, I, I obviously have a little more time to devote to study and stuff like that because that's what God has called me to do. But you know what? Other than that, there's real no, not a whole lot of difference. But it's a calling. And just because God maybe hasn't called you into full-time ministry doesn't mean that you shouldn't be ministering. You should be ministering even more, I would say. And so, so believers in the workplace, think of it this way, have a sovereignly chosen mission field that God has put them in. And the mission field is really their co-workers. And God has strategically placed you there in that place as a Christian for, for the express purpose of glorifying Christ through your work, through, through uh, your relationships with, with your co-workers and all that stuff. And the difference is a matter of function and, and appointment and maybe the place. It's not, a, it's not a different spiritual status. And we need to see that our, our careers, whether they're full-time ministry or not, they're, they're, they're clearly God's sovereign appointment for us to have the opportunity to love our neighbors and to proclaim the good news of, of salvation in Jesus Christ to those we work with and faithful, faithful obedience to glorify Christ in the workplace is really an extension of our worship. That's what it should be. That's how serious God looks at this. Uh, Paul wrote in Romans 12, 1, we know this, this verse, but therefore I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to what? Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And so as we live in obedience to him, whether it's in the church or whether it's at work, our commitment to work faithfully is a, 
act of worship. So next time you go to work and you're punching the clock or whatever you do, remember that God has you there for that purpose, for that plan. And that you're, you're called there um, from a biblical perspective. And you, you're, you have a mission field that nobody else has access to. Um, it's, it's very important to have that mindset. Um, secondly, on the, on the back there, it says it's going to be a quick study, and it is. But secondly, not only is it the perspective, biblical perspective of work, but think of the biblical practice of evangelism at work. The problem today in our culture, I mean, why don't people share Christ more at work? Let's just open that up. Why, why don't Christians feel free to share their faith more so at work? Okay, don't want to be laughed at? Uh, ostracized, definitely. Anything else? Yeah, what, what's the fear? There you go, right? Yeah, so I mean, the fear is very real. You would be a fool to, to go into a secular workplace and just set up a pulpit and start preaching to people as they came to work. I mean, you wouldn't have your job very long, right? That, that would not be wise. We're, we're called to be what? Wise as serpents, harmless as doves. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I think that we have to remember that there is a biblical practice of evangelism at work. You just have to do it in a way that really makes sense. And I think the first point here is very important that you understand. Recognize that God is your ultimate employer. God is your ultimate employer. Uh, though a human being may be overseeing you and sovereignly appointed as your immediate authority at work, guess what? God is the ultimate employer of every Christian. Of every Christian. Um, Paul calls us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, he says, Work with good will, render service as to the Lord, not unto men. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether you're a slave or whether you're free. And so he, he says there, we work as what? Unto the Lord. We work to the Lord. Why? Because he's the one that we love. He's the one that we serve. He's the one that even got us that place of employment by his sovereign hand. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says in verse 24, I'll just read it for you. He says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. See, and that's where a lot of people get confused because they think that, that somehow they serve their employer. And when you think of it in the different light, you, you, you don't just serve your employer. I mean, you do serve your employer because they hired you, right? But ultimately, who are you serving? You're serving the Lord. And, and it doesn't matter whether you're in a secular job, frankly, or whether you're in a, in a ministry, a ministerial kind of job. I mean, I don't, I'm not here just to serve the people. If that were the case, I'd be taking your survey every week. What do you want to hear? Tell me what you want to hear. You know, because I, I want you to like me. I want, I, I want to make sure that I'm serving you, serving you, serving you, because that's all I'm concerned about. There's churches like that. You can find them all over the place. But that's where the whole tickling of the ears and everything comes in. And so we have to be, be, be careful with that in mindset. But we have to realize that God is our ultimate employer. Then secondly, there, honor and obey your earthly employer. First, first Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Um, Paul, sa Paul says there very clearly, all who are under the yoke as slaves, employees, basically in our modern day culture that would be, are to regard their own masters, their employers, 
as worthy of all honor. So you may not agree with them. They may be total, you know, uh, not, not good employers, but we're called as believers um, to, to give them honor. And Peter also wrote the same thing, that we should treat our employers with all respect in 1 Peter 2.18. And so I, I'm laying this groundwork because it's very important that we understand that the workplace is something that's ordained by God. And so we have to be, when we take the gospel into the workplace, we have to understand his, his foundation of that workplace. Um, because there's been Christians who go into the workplaces and basically they're, you know, I, I call them jerks for Jesus, you know, and they turn off more people than they'd ever win to Christ. And they may be saying the right things, but they're doing it in ways that's actually harmful for the cause of Christ. And so you have to be uh, careful about that. But this principle applies equally to the good and honest employer, but it also applies to the unreasonable and even dishonest employer. We're still called, if we're there by God's sovereign hand, if he's given us this job, then you know what? We just have to deal with it until he opens up another door. We must not expect an unsaved person, who's, whether it's our employer or, or, or fellow employees, to act impartially, to act fairly, or to act even considerately. Um, why? Because those, those are traits that flow out of a relationship with Christ. And sometimes we, we want to hold an unbeliever, right, to the standard of a believer. And we don't have the right to do that. And, and so it's the same thing. We shouldn't hold an unsaved person to the same standard as someone who is saved. And when we're out evangelizing, a lot of times we run into people who are not Christians. And so we can't be all over them about their behavior. That's not going to help, right? Because <clears throat> that's just <clears throat> sending them a message, change your behavior and God will like you. God will love you if you just change your behavior. That's not what the gospel says, right? I mean, I know a lot of people who change their behavior, but they're not Christians. So you, you have to be careful with giving people that, that message. And so Peter also instructs us to bear up under unjust treatment and to do it with patience. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 20, uh, he points out, he says, For what credit is there if when you sin and are treated harshly, you endure it with patience? So he's saying, you know, if you do something wrong and they treat you harshly, which they should because you're doing something wrong, uh, you know, why shouldn't you endure it with patience? You deserve what you're getting, right? But he says, but if when you do what is right and you suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. And that's, Christ is the example of that, right? I mean, he, he was the sinless lamb of God and look at what they did to him. And he, he endured it patiently. I mean, at any moment, he could have went <laughs> zap, you know, but he didn't. Uh, and there's only one exception, really, to obeying this kind of authority. And that exception occurs when you're, what? You're told, you're instructed to do something that would violate God's law or God's word. Okay, at that point in time, you kind of have to make a decision. Are you going to obey man or are you going to obey God? So if you're working for an employer and the employer says, hey, you know what? Yeah, I know that usually we charge this guy $10, but, uh, you know, we're going to charge him 30 now because just because, 
There's no reason. We're just going to rip the guy off. And as a Christian, if you don't feel right about that, which you shouldn't, then you need to speak up and you say, no, I'm not going to be party to that, right? Because that violates God's word. That violates my conscience. I'm not going to, you're not going to include me in your sin. And so that's the one exception there. And because God establishes all authority figures, we have to understand that we're called to submit to their direction and their leadership. If God gave you a job sovereignly, and he sovereignly gave you a boss, and say your boss is just a complete idiot, treats you horribly, all right? But he's not crossing that line. He's not making you do things that are in violation of God's word. Uh, we're really called to, if God doesn't open up another door for employment, you just endure that patiently. And you just continue to, to work, who? For the Lord. You're not working for that, that individual. You're working for the Lord. And um, in Ephesians 6, 5, Paul urges us to be obedient, not, pros, uh, not, not uh, procrastinating, but immediately carrying out responsibilities um, in, in verses 5 to 8 there. And so it's, it's very important. He says, but he says, don't, the goal is not to please men, but work rather with a sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. Um, that's in, in Colossians 3.22, I'm sorry. He says, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that the Lord will, you will receive the inheritance, reward of inheritance. It's Christ whom you serve. And uh, you do it all this without partiality. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us to work in sincerity of our hearts, doing the will of God from the heart, in verse 5. In verse 6, he says, uh, doing it with good will. And then in verse 7, he says, doing our work heartily. And so when you, when you see all this together, it, it points out very clearly that, you know what? Um, even at work, we are called to honor and obey our, our bosses and, and whoever, whoever else is, is put over us in authority. Even though they may not do everything the way we think they should do it, or maybe they treat people harshly, whatever, we're called to endure that with patience. Um, the third thing here, C, quickly, is honor Christ with your example. <clears throat> honor Christ with your example. Uh, many of you have shared stories about your, your workplaces, and, and sometimes, you know, the story kind of goes like this. Yeah, we have this guy at work, and he's just lazy. He doesn't do anything, <laughs> you know, and, and it, it, it's an irritant, you know, because when you're, you're a hard worker, and you're at work, and you're, you're doing everything that everybody else isn't, right, and somehow you're not necessarily getting all the recognition, uh, you know, you, you feel kind of ripped off. But we have to remember that we're not honoring men, we're honoring Christ with our example. So we have to be known for people who are not lazy, who are, have a good work ethic, who don't do shoddy work when the boss isn't looking, you know. Um, and our verbal testimony uh, will be, you know, worthless if that's the case. If you just go to work to punch the clock and you absolutely do nothing and, and you're not known for working hard, then you tell them you're a Christian. So they'll, you know, mo most people say, yeah, that figures. You know, a lot of times, you know, it used to be phone books, right? We'd have phone books. Now they have the Internet. But you used to be able to look up in the phone book, you know, I, I'm looking for a painter. And you'd look up under, and some ads would have like a little fish, right? The little Christian symbol. And I remember, you know, thinking, oh, you know, you know give a Christian the, the business, right? And um, usually I'd try to call around and say, hey, you know, I got this guy's number out of the phone. Has he ever done any work for you or whatever? And uh, a lot of times, unfortunately, 
Oh, don't use that guy. He ripped me off. I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, he claims to be a Christian. He's got a fish on his little ad. And he's out there ripping people off. You know, that's not a good example. You know, and it's the same way when we go to work, right? If we go to work and we're not doing what, what our employer expects us to do, and this kind of plays into the, the area of evangelism because, you know, I've worked in a lot of different jobs younger in, in life. And a lot of times, you know, I've worked with some very... Um, passionate Christians, believers, right? And usually they would get in trouble. Not for sharing their faith, not for that, but for not doing the work. You know, they're more concerned whether, you know, they're having a Bible study in the break room and, you know, they're 20 minutes over the break and they think somehow the employer should just look the other way and go, well, if they're having a Bible study, that's okay. No, it's not okay. And they really hurt the cause of Christ. And so we have to honor Christ with our example. And um, the answer is, to, is, is not to you know, stop evangelizing, but to start being a good worker. And, and that will speak volumes to your employer. Um, God commanded us to work diligently, 1 Timothy 6.1, so that the name of our God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. So a lot of times, evangelism in the workplace isn't even handing out tracts or reading your Bible or anything. It's just, what are you doing? Are you working hard with a good attitude? Are you doing what the Lord would have you to do? And you have to maintain that good reputation, the Bible says, um, 1 Timothy 3, um, among people not just inside the church, right, but outside the church. And um, that, that's so, so vitally important. I remember I did a, a funeral one time for someone not... It was a stranger. I didn't know them. But um, they claimed, their their family claimed that this individual was a believer and and all this stuff. And and so I I approached the funeral that way. You know, talking about the man's faith and commitment to church. And and afterwards, you know, I had like two or three family members come up. Now, mind you, I didn't know these people. So, I mean, they weren't mad at me because I didn't even know the guy that died. I was just doing them a favor by doing the funeral and just you know, went by some of the family members um, and what they told me about him. And afterwards, they thought, they came up and they said, this guy was the worst scoundrel. Yeah, he went to church once a week, you know, on Sundays. But man, he was, you know, he was a drunk. He was this. And I thought, oh, man. You know, and here I am as a pastor up there said all these good things about him that they told me to say. And I thought, I'm never going to do that again. You know, if I don't know him, I'm going to be very generic in my, in my presentation of the individual. Um, but, you know, in Romans uh, 2.23, um, it, it tells us that, w- he says, for you boast in the, l- you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. You know, this, this kind of borders on someone who's has kind of a legalistic mindset, right? They're always telling everybody else what to do, but they're not doing it. Verse 24 Romans 2.24, it says, For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Okay? Because they're, they're not doing what they need to be doing in their own lives. Um, so if we claim to love God, but we fail to maintain a, a standard and a high integrity at work, and, and we sin against God, we bring a reproach to his ga- name, and then when we bring up Jesus, that's just, you know, uh, that's not good. First uh, John Two, verses 3 and 4, it says, and, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 
okay, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So if we're going to live righteously before God, and if we're going to submit to Christ's lordship in every point of our life, and we're going to seek to glorify him, then that has to be at work as well. Okay, we don't get a, we don't get a pass because our boss is a jerk. We don't get a pass because, boy, you know, I, I, I work so hard and they never give me credit. That's, that's not who you're working for. Those who work hard are also promised their reward. Proverbs 22, verse 29, it says, Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. God will honor you. You know, maybe not right away. Maybe not even on this side of glory. But usually, uh, somehow, um, he, will, he will let your reputation be known as a hard worker. And, you know, you can just, you can just tell that, you know what, when somebody has a good work ethic and they're a Christian, people are a lot more uh, apt to listen to their testimony or to listen to their, you know, uh, how they're dealing with things at work. You know, if you're just complaining along with everybody else about the work conditions and about the pay and everything else, you're just whining with, along with everybody else and you don't have a, a, a godly mindset, then they're not going to think any different. But if, you, if you're not doing that, you know, and you're thankful to God for your job, and you, you just commit yourself wholeheartedly to the task, people are going to notice. And then that's when the door will open up sometimes um, for you to share the gospel. And then the fourth thing here is be tactful in looking for evangelism opportunities. This is so important. Be tactful. Okay, don't be rude. Um, in Matthew 10, 16, Jesus says, Behold, I sent you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Right. So you're 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 these little sheep, but he's sending you out into a pack of wolves. So he says, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Don't don't go out there, you know, all gun ho for Jesus and give people opportunities to hate you. Just because you're 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 being kind of an idiot. Use some tact. It's important concept. Now we know the, the message of the gospel is offensive. We're not taught, saying well you just got to compromise the gospel and not really tell them the truth. No, we're not saying that. But a lot of times you know that, that relationship has to develop. Right? I mean you have to kind of warm up to somebody a little bit. And that can happen in a few moments. It doesn't have to take days or weeks. But I mean you have to remember that. You can't just be running around hey turn or burn, turn or burn. You know that's not going to, that's not an effective way for evangelism to happen. Um, the important concept is the meaning of that word shrewd. He says, so be shrewd as serpents in, in one translation. Um, Christ instructs us that, hey, we're not to be deceptive. We're not to be misleading, right? We're, we're to be wise. We're to be honest. We're to be intelligent. We're to be um, sensible in the way that we communicate the gospel. Uh, we, you have to look for those opportunities. And, and sometimes God brings them just out of thin air. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, lot of ways that you can, you can understand how this works. A shrewd evangelist would do this. They would ask open-ended questions rather than yes or no questions. And we went over that before, right? The difference between an open-ended question and a yes or no question. Uh, a yes or no question is, did you have a good day? Most men will say yes or no. That's it. Right. That's 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 kind of a, uh, you know, closed end question. But if you ask the question, well, 
Dear, what did, what did you do today at the office? Right? That's an open-ended. You've got to respond. You have to, you, have to, you know, well, oh, this morning I did this or I did that. I can't just say yes or no. That wouldn't make any sense. So even when we're dealing with, with people and we're interacting with people, a lot of times it's good to ask open-ended questions. So if you're at work and, and someone says something like, you know, they see your Bible on your desk or whatever, and say, oh, are you one of those Christians? Right? You could say, well, what do you mean by that question? <laughs> right? I mean, don't just say yes. Put them on the defense. Make them explain to you what they're, what they're asking you. And the pressure comes off of you, and all of a sudden it's on them. You know, well, are you one of those, you know, and they, they, they go on their little tirade there. And you can, you can ask them another open-ended question. You know, well, it seems, what, why do you feel that way? Right? What's your, what's your reasoning and feeling that way? And, and a lot of times people are taken back by that. All right? And, and they begin to open up. Well, when I was a kid, you know, I, I was made to, I had to go to church. I hate it. And they start, they start opening up to you. You know, and you don't, you don't take the Bible and shove it down their throat. You, you continue the conversation. You ask them another open question. Okay? And, and eventually, there's a trust there, and the conversation begins to build. So ask open-ended questions, not yes or no questions. Be actively interested in the events in other person's life. All right? Um, we love to talk about ourselves. Okay? We just do as, as individuals. Um, my family told me, you talk about yourself way too much, stop, you know, and, and so I've had to monitor that, you know, and, and maybe because I don't know why, but sometimes when there's silence in a conversation, it's kind of awkward, right? So it's easier for me just to, oh, you know, I just start talking about whatever. It doesn't matter, and usually it's about something that I know, and that's myself. So that's not, that's not good, okay? So begin to become actively interested in the events in another person's life. You know, so if you hear a coworker say something like, oh yeah, you know, I had to take the kid to the soccer game this last week or whatever. Oh, your kids play soccer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, are they any good? What, you know, what are their ages? So start asking about their family so they get to talk about them, you know, be actively interested in that. And then look for opportunities to bring God's word to bear in on the conversation. And this doesn't have to come out of thin air. It can happen, you know, pretty easily actually. I mean, a lot of times you can just, you know, relate things in your own life to the conversation. And you're bringing it up, not in a preachy way, but just in a thing that you've observed or whatever it might be. And so when you, when you recognize that um, you, you have a receptive audience, and some people are, are more receptive than others, right? Uh, we saw this last, somebody who went out last Friday night when we went down to the, the plaza with Dan. We're handing out tracts, and he was doing his thing. There's some people that would come up, and they'd be interested. And they'd stand there, and they'd listen to his presentation. And there's other people that were just walking by. They, they wouldn't even take the track, right? They, they, don't, they have no interest at all. That's okay. You know, so you have some people that might be interested, some people that maybe a little bit, other people that would actually have a conversation with you, a spiritual conversation. But we're really called to, to have some wisdom when we, when we deal with different people, whether it's out on the street or whether it's in our place of employment. And Colossians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 tells us that we are to be wise stewards of our time. And, and, and by that I mean we have to understand that only God can open up someone's heart 
to understand the gospel. I mean, we may, ha- we may have the best track. We may have the best lines. We may have the best jokes and whatever. We got it all memorized and we're out there. But you know what? Only God can open up their heart. And that's why in Colossians 4, 5, it says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making what? The best use of the time. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so the idea of answering each person has the idea that they're asking you questions, right? Why would they be asking you questions? Because they're observing something different in your life. Wow, you're not like all the other workers. You actually work. You actually have some pride in your work. You actually aren't out there complaining with everybody else. You're just kind of going along with the the program, doing your job. Um, People are going to start asking, why do you do this? What what makes you tick? Okay. Um, And and you can give them, obviously, uh, the answer. And then, uh, fifthly here, um, always live above reproach. And that's why he said, you know, you're, you're going to be out there in the midst of wolves as sheep, be wise as serpent, innocent as doves. And the concept carries the idea of being without a mixture of evil, hence being pure, okay, undefiled. There's no, there's no mixture there. Um, I think we have to evangelize people without bringing reproach upon the name of Christ. Um, that means... We don't want to steal from the company, right? We want to evangelize the company. Uh, and and there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a big difference there. Um, I mean, if, if you are fired from your employment, it should be for standing for the truth, not for what? Stealing from the company. I mean, that would basically blow your testimony um, or breaking company policies or whatever it might be. Um, don't give the enemies opportunity to speak evil against you. This is the whole, the whole mindset here, uh, especially in the areas of your reputation, your work ethic, things like that. Peter tells us so much in, in 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to make a what? defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. So they look at your life and they see something different. There's hope in your life. There's, there's a different mindset when it comes to work. All this stuff, well, we have to, when they ask us, we have to give a defense. But it also says they do it so with gentleness and reverence. Um, gentleness has to do with compassion. Gentleness has to do with a, a, a genuine concern for others. Okay? And, and I think that we have to be reminded of that. As we present the gospel, we're to speak the truth boldly. We're not to compromise the truth. We do it boldly, but hopefully we don't do it obnoxiously. All right? We're not, we're not in the ministry of just offending people. We understand the message of the gospel is offensive in and of itself, right? The cross is an offense to men. So we don't need to have our own obnoxious offensiveness entered into that. The gospel's <laughs> a big enough offense for people. We're to do it with gentleness and reverence. That second word, reverence, there means really fear, okay, um, has to do with making sure that we are portraying God with an accurate perspective of what God says he is. And so the ultimate real, I think, purpose for evangelism is to bring more people, to give God more glory, and, and to see that he is worthy of all of his, the glory that he says he has, 
and that is, is treasured by his creation. And uh, I think as evangelists, we must have the, the correct understanding of the gospel and a healthy fear of God and also a correct understanding of work. So when we're working, we should be working. We shouldn't be reading our Bible. But if we're given a break and we're able to read our Bible on our break, then do so. Uh, 